On September 12, 2023, I was able to sit down for a short conversation with newly appointed Department of Real Estate Commissioner Susan Nicholson. This conversation was held at the West Valley office of WeServe in Peoria with a group of realtor members as part of the WeServe West Valley Fall Conference 2023. A quick note, the recording began after the commissioner's initial comments in which she mentioned the DRE has now posted a link to the WeServe Water Worksheet, Questions You Should Ask Before Purchasing or Renting a Property in Arizona. In this conversation with Commissioner Nicholson, you will learn about the physical and process changes she has made at DRE to help real estate licensees and the public. The commissioner will discuss her discussions with AR and ARMLS regarding vacant houses being used by human traffickers and what she is doing to protect the real estate agent, the client, and the property owner. For those of you in property management, the commissioner will update you on DRE auditing of TPT when there are conflicts with DOR and tell you about her proposed tools for use by property managers. And finally, we close with Commissioner Nicholson's look forward to what she hopes the DRE will accomplish in the next two years. So that um, flyer also, if you decide you would like a copy, let me know. We have some printed up I can bring into the class later on today for you. It's so excellent that we share it at the ADRE website as and well. We, thank you for that. That was Susan actually emailed me when she found out we put that together and she had read it and she asked if she could put it. So we're so fortunate to have that. That's very encouraging. I want to welcome you and say thanks for coming. It's like coming Jennifer. home, it's so great. thank you guys. Yeah, I spend a lot of time in this room. Yeah. <laughs> On both sides of the stage. Mm -hmm. So we're going to start out and try to do a pretty casual conversational style. If you have questions, um, Commissioner Nicholson has said, yes, go ahead, wave your hand, and, and she would entertain some questions as we go along rather than have a strict Q&A at the end. We're going to get through a few things here that sort of set the tone mm -hmm. for how DRE has changed. And for many of us, we have interacted to a very limited degree. And for others of us, we have interacted with a very great degree over the years with DRE. And with every commissioner, there's a change in style and there's a change in what their focus is. Coming from where she did, Susan knew going in that there were some things that were difficult for practitioners and some things that were ununderstandable by the public. And so that was a really great focus to go in. So let's start with there. Since you've been there, you've made some physical changes to DRE, so things like forms and personnel and processes. And then you've also done some rules and some clarification of old rules. So let's start with what your physical changes are, so personnel, processes, forms. Sure. So one of the first things I did after taking the seat in the office was review over two years of customer survey results, customer satisfaction survey results, because, you know, the Department of Real Estate exists to protect the public. That's our statutory mission, but our customers are licensees. You guys are also constituents, you're small business owners. I know who, you know, realtors are per, per se. I, I get it. I, I stumped that for a long time. And I wanted to see how we were doing for our customers. And what I found repeatedly was a whole huge frustration because our licensees couldn't call us. So if, if you had been practicing for a very long time and saved the phone number, you had it. But if you were newer to the business, good, good, good luck finding it. And so I thought, well, this can't be the case because I had the number saved in my phone from a long time ago. And um, I started searching and I thought, well, golly gee, I can't find my phone number either. So I went and I spoke with the chief of staff and I said, why, why can't I find our phone number? Like, why can't our licensees just pick up the phone and call us when they need something to keep their businesses going? And I was told how we want everybody to go through the message center. So yes, you guys logging into the message center and utilizing that as your primary mode of communication, what that allows me to do is manage my staffing because I can see if you are having to wait too long to get your request made. I can see how long it is taking the department to fulfill your request of us if you utilize the message center. So it's a marvelous tool, but I felt like you should also have the benefit of being able to pick up the phone and call us when you need to do that. So that actually required a whole new phone system which enabled me to allow staff to begin to telework. 
And so we incorporated two days a week for most members of staff where they can work from home. And we have staff that come from Eloy and Wickenburg down to the Capitol every day. And when you translate that with like the, the value of their time that they were spending in rush hour, because we're 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., so like the worst possible times to be driving downtown, and you translate that into gas costs and everything, that was a huge value added. And the new phone system allows me to track that they're on queue. I can see in the message center that the workflow is still going. We've actually increased productivity by allowing the work from home. And we've increased staff satisfaction. So that was one of the changes that, that went huge. in. Yeah. yeah. There's you, a lot more, I guess, right? You we have just, some forms updates, which I want to make sure people are aware of. We did, of. we did. Dan. We like that jacket. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I, I mean, I don't know it off the top of my head, but it's right there on the website now. Okay. You don't have to go okay. searching. So if you go to azre.gov, you go to the bottom of the page where it lists the address, the phone number's there now, too. It's a, amazing thing. Welcome to 1998. Yeah, right? And, and here's the other thing that we did with the new phone system. You used to just always go to our licensing department, but a lot of licensees need different divisions within the Department of Real Estate. And there used to be this really, really long message, like you had to have the patience of a saint to get to a representative at the department. And so that message is gone, and it's, you know, press one for licensing, press two for auditing, press three for enforcement, press four for compliance. We, we just want to, as quickly as possible, get you the expertise in the department that's going to help you get your business back online. So, okay, forms. All right. <laughs> so I was an educator. I wrote courses, and I mean, I came in there and sat down with the education department and was like, ED-102 is the most horrible form ever created for adding an additional CE course. It was 26 pages. And I was like, what do we need to collect because of statute? What do we need to collect in order to fulfill our mission of protecting the public? And what can we get rid of on this form that's just not necessary? Maybe it was necessary for a blip of something that was happening at a time in the past, but that sucker was just a beast that just kept growing and growing. So it went from 26 pages to two pages plus an addenda, and each of the addenda are only two pages. So we went from 26 to four. Um, it's pretty simplified, I think, right? It's very simplified. And, right. Yeah. Once and you get used to it, because you're, it's very jarring. Yeah. Like, there should be more. Yeah. I'm used to a tome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and there was a whole lot of um, instructors that would leave pages blank or take those pages out, and then because they didn't need to use those pages and scan and send less information in. But the department didn't know that you didn't need them, and so we were like, was it a scanning error? There was all this unnecessary back and forth and delay. So it streamlined the process and the procedure. Mm -hmm. The staff is happy. The educators are happy. I consider it a win for you know, the department. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it saves a lot of time. Development services. The Department of Real Estate approved public reports. That one was like a nasty 40-pager form. <laughs> it was awful. And there were two versions of the form. One was expedited, one was standard, one charged more money than the other one. But in all honesty, it was the exact same process happening on the back end. So why take more money? And we've reduced the turnaround time for, uh, if your submission for public report is complete, we have a five-day turnaround time right now. It, it, it seemed unnecessary. So we applied the same logic to it. We brought in our subdivisions expertise. What do we need? What don't we need? We went through the statute book closely. I think we're at six pages now. In the education form, the meat and potatoes is really the outline. That's the content that we care about. In education, I opened up general credits because there used to be subject matter that was considered prohibited for continuing education. And I said, you know, I don't have so much faith that I am the most intelligent person in the world to say that there's no possibility of writing a class with this being the focus of the subject that's not designed to protect the public. And that's what CE is there to do, educate licensees so that you can go out there and protect the public in real estate transactions. So I took away the list of restrictions and I added in a big box that says, explain to me how this course serves to protect the public. If a real estate licensee learns this information, how are they going to better protect the public in the practice of real estate? And we get a lot of submissions in 
the Jackie, who's in charge of our education, will come into my office sometimes and say, I'm not quite comfortable saying yes to this. And I think instructors, if any of you are in the room and have had my handwritten notes sent back to you, I'm like, yeah, nope, that doesn't mean it. But if they add this, and they add this, and they put this here, and they talk about this, I would approve that. And so we're very much working. An educator. <laughs> you're an educator, yeah. We're very much working hand in hand to help you develop your ideas to where we know that it's achieving the statutory mission of continuing education, rather than just saying, no, that's, that's not good enough. I will absolutely take the time to say what I'm looking for is this. Because once I write that in one time for you on a proposed outline, I tend to get better and better outlines in, in the future. So I'd rather work with you. I'd rather take those few minutes out of the day. That's so great because you're gonna, people will know why. I mean, they'll understand where you're coming from and they'll learn. Yeah. Such a great feedback. Well, and I like it because I'm hoping that in the future, when Susan is off to other things at some point in her career, that commissioner will come in and learn this as well. It's just a great culture within the DRE to start establishing. It is, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's really good. And, and then uh, the last form that I changed, oh, it caused scandal. <laughs> uh, you know, half the complaints come in about me. Um, and so the last one that I changed is when you're going for your broker's license. So um, there's a form called the LI-226, and it has everything to do with your experience. And so, you know, I came right out of industry, and I understand that some licensees work for a really small brokerage, and that broker knows what kind of effort they're putting into their real estate practice. Some licensees work for a mega shop, and that broker doesn't even know. They could, they could be next to you in line at Fry's, and they wouldn't know that you hang your license with them, right? Like, there's this whole thing. And so the old form basically said, your broker, for three out of the last five years, you have to, to prove that, that you've you've been practicing real estate basically. And it went to the brokers to say, hey brokers, you are the ones that need to sign off on this. Well, here's the problem. If you were with a brokerage and you just didn't jive with that broker or you went somewhere to get a better deal on your fees or something or something, and you severed and you moved on somewhere else. So maybe you need your current broker to do one year of your experience and your past broker to do two years of your experience. Well, good luck getting that signed off, friends. So we were seeing brokers that were turning down qualified candidates because they wouldn't sign off on their experience because it was all about control and power and vindictiveness. And applying it to what the broker's actual knowledge of that real estate practitioner's professional abilities to be a broker is just seemed like a terribly inequitable system. And Statute does not say that a broker <coughs> shall determine if their licensee was. Statute leaves that to the Department of Real Estate. It's a qualification that I need to verify. So I changed the form, and it's mostly a blank piece of paper, and it says, yeah, tell me. You tell me what qualifies you to have this level of licensing. And I put in the instructions, you know, include your, include your sales, include your activity, but certainly also include maybe association volunteerism, maybe teaching and writing courses, because I want to look at the wholeness of the candidate, because even if I go down to the transaction level, how is it fair for me to say that you need to do 10 transactions in the past 12 months for three years in a row in order for me to say that you're full time, that you've, you've got that experience. Well, what if you live in a small town like Safford, Arizona? The whole, the whole MLS there might only have 10 transactions in the year and they've got 40 agents. Like how is it equitable? How is it equitable? That was uh, the last form. That one, that one was the one that got the most uh, pushback because I don't think brokers like that I took that power away from them. But we vet our broker candidates and that the brokers will get their chance to say what they want to say, but we're gonna take that in with the body of everything else. Jackie. Yes. Is that required for an associate broker? Yes, just to obtain a broker license, yes. But if we already have it. Oh, you're good. We don't do it on a renewal. Yeah, you're in. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
So let's talk real quick about, um, this leads nicely into some of the new rules you have and some of the clarifications that you have put out on some of the rules. Sure. People like to call them commissioner's rules. It's Arizona Administrative Code. They're not mine. I didn't write any of them. Um, and so, That's clear. Have you read them? <laughs> right? <laughs> I will not own that. <laughs> it's administrative code, right? So administrative code is there to clarify statute. So the lawmakers put forward a statute. They enable the agency to get into the nitty-gritty of what that statute means because the agency is a subject matter expert on it, right? That's, that's the concept behind administrative code. There's a thing called a five-year rule review that is out there, and my five-year rule review begins next January. So the Department of Real Estate will go through R-428 in its entirety starting next January and propose all of the changes that we have. So where we have rules that no longer meet with the current statutes, we're gonna sunset some rules out there so you can see some changes. And we're gonna make a whole lot of common sense changes, I think, to the rules, just like we're doing in a proposed omnibus bill that we're hoping the governor's office will get behind and support for next legislative session. There's a lot of things where our, uh, the department hasn't done any rulemaking since 2006. So has the industry changed since 2006? And are we regulating in a way that's fair to businesses, that meets the Small Business Bill of Rights, that's, that's within the parameters of what the intent of those rules are? Um, there are you know, some things out there that just don't make sense anymore. I know uh, advertising, the one that's sort of prominently displayed, right? That's really up to the interpretation of the person sitting in my chair. And it's so vague that it sets licensees up for a gotcha and a failure. So we will be clarifying those things in our rulemaking. Um, but for those of you who are worried about advertising and you do have a team prominently displayed under the interpretation of my leadership is if you have a team name, your brokerage name has to appear wherever your team name appears, and your brokerage name can't be in font four and your team name is in like, you know, font 24. But your brokerage name needs to like link times with it, go back to geography, give your brokerage at least equal billing of space on all of your advertising. If you have room to put your team name, you have room to put your brokerage name. And that gives the public a 50-50 shot of figuring out who's actually supervising you because teams are not registered with the Department of Real Estate. And a lot of teams have names that sound like real estate companies. And if the public feels harmed by a real estate licensee, I need them to be able to get a hold of the person who's supposed to be supervising you, not to search you and file a complaint that you're an unlicensed entity performing real estate without a license. And so, it's really one of those things where people have accused me of, you just want to force us to go get more signage, or you just want to da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, I promise you, replacing your signs is less expensive than the disciplinary action <laughs> that you're going to get by not being in compliance. So it's as fair as I can be in sort of coming out and saying this is it. I can tell you how we handle them right now. Our advertising complaints is a very fast process. We let you and your broker know we've received a complaint. We expect you to acknowledge it in about five days. And then we expect you to begin the process of telling us that you're going to get into compliance. And we give you a letter of concern, which is not a disciplinary action. So we're trying to be as, as fair and gentle as we can, but we still have to enforce the statutes and rules. So if we see those without filing formal complaint, I mean, I see them every other day. Yeah. I'll see the, the little tiny logo company and then the huge design of the team that really catches your eye. Yeah. Can I just forward them mm -hmm. without, without saying, oh, yeah, I mean, I, I'll be happy to write in, let's just look at the... Yeah, I mean, I mean you... Some, some you maybe said, well, then that's okay, but I, I see mm -hmm. so many all the time. So complaints. Uh, statute says that the Department of Real Estate will investigate all written complaints and the commissioner may investigate anything that he or she wants to. And so um, the idea is to get the consistency and the professionalism out there and the fairness to the public and the delivery of real estate services. So yes, then, I don't care how it gets to me. I get anonymous packages in the mail with no return address, we investigate. I get text messages sent to me, I investigate. 
we get formal complaints through the message center, we investigate. It doesn't matter how the information lands at the Department of Real Estate, we will investigate and make sure that we're doing our duty to protect the public and upholding the statutes. So, message center. Any which way you want to. Mm -hmm. Message center, yeah, easiest way. Okay, so let's go on to something that is fairly new and I know it has been controversial in some places and very applauded in others. So let's talk about MLS and MLUs and oh, what's going on there. Yes, okay, so congratulations to all of you because how many of you are members of AR MLS? Is that your MLS? Anybody here not a member of AR MLS? No, okay, well good. Well, all of you guys are a little bit safer because of the leadership of your MLS. So, so right before I became the commissioner, we're talking days, not even weeks, right? We're talking days. The Department of Real Estate received notification from the Department of Public Safety that a real estate licensee had been arrested for human trafficking and smuggling. How many of you, by a show of hands, would like the Department of Real Estate to notify you as fast as possible that your listing could be compromised because a human smuggler went into it and might have copied your key? Like anybody here interested in getting that phone call from me? Yes. As quickly, like as quickly as possible? Well, I'm interested in as quickly as possible too, but what the Department of Real Estate encountered was there was no system set up at the MLS for us to call and say, we're really worried about public safety right now because of an investigation that we have going on and, and what a licensee has been arrested for, and we can tell you it's a felony. Could you work with us in real time right now? We'll send you a subpoena by email. We'll follow up with the certified mail, the due process. Like we'll, we'll, we'll get it there. But can we email you our subpoena, and can you work with us in real time to get us whatever you know that you have as information that we need to protect the public? That didn't exist before I became commissioner. So when the department sought after the information, even though under the constraints that we can't reveal what's going on in an ongoing investigation, but trying to say with what they could that we're really, really worried about people, safety. Licensees, can you imagine showing a house that was a vacant listing that you know the key was copied and you show up and it's being used as a drop house for human smuggling? Like, is that a good day for you and your clients? No, it is not. It's realtor safety, it's public safety. To me, it was a, no greater win-win. <laughs> so I met uh, with Arizona Realtors. We kind of talked it over. We tried to develop the scope of what that agreement should look like. We hired outside counsel who's familiar with the whole system to write a draft of it. We ran it through the Attorney General's office, and we sent it out to all the MLSs across the state, and we said, please work with us. Like, we hope we never have to pull this trigger. We hope that there's... We hope that everything is a regular investigation and we're not worried about human safety, like physical safety, like kidnapping children and things. And only ARMLS agreed to participate so far. So we're really, really hopeful that the other MLSs around the state will say, this makes a whole lot of sense. Like, yeah, we want to participate. We really hope that the state association will get behind it, give us any feedback. It, you know, we're not married to any terms and conditions in it. What we really just want is, in the most heinous of situations, let's have something in place so that it's not eight days to get the information you need to protect the public. And that's what it was, eight days. Mm. So, you know, eight days is just too many days too long and too much harm could happen in an eight-day period from when you know. And, um, yeah, so we're going to keep working at it, and we're going to keep hoping that the MLSs all around the state will see the logic in having that cooperation agreement. But, um, you know, ARMLS was not, not the first, but the second to sign up, and uh, the only one that is still standing. So I couldn't be more proud of, you know, Matt Consalvo, his leadership, the leadership of the board at ARMLS. So that is, if we think of it as contemporary today type of problem, but for those of us who have been in the industry for a while, we know that that human smuggling issue has been around for decades. And I know when I had my brokerage, I had a lot of listings coming from banks and things like that. I never knew what I was gonna walk into. It always makes you a little nervous. And there were times when not my listing, but two doors down, someone did walk into that. And I was always thankful for the listing. I got not the one two doors down. Mm -hmm. But it's an ongoing problem. And so finally, there's some tool to help us out. It's mm -hmm. really great accomplishment. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And then since we're on new stuff that you're doing, that sort of is 
moving and shaking and contemporary. Um, let's go over to the real estate fraud, deed fraud, however you want to describe it. Mm-hmm. Big issues, but talk big about issue, some of that. Big issue, big um, issue. So anybody here had to already deal with a criminal who's impersonating a seller trying to sell something that's not theirs? One, two, three, four. Yeah, so four in this room. I see three to five a week. Oh, one, he's had it twice, so count that as five. Licensees need to know just because it happened to didn't happen to you doesn't mean that it's not happening all around you. It's a devastating crime. Like it, it's easier for somebody to steal your actual piece of land or house than it is for them to steal your TV a lot of times. And we started receiving complaints and started kind of saying, you know, what happens? Like, oh, we got a live one. Let's catch the criminal. Who catches the criminal? Oh, it's not DPS, and so you please don't call you back, and, and you know, and all these different, these different things that were frustrating. So the department started working with a victim of deed fraud whose house was stolen. Um, it was in probate, and it was stolen. And we started taking the issue apart, you know, just picking at the seam of the fabric of how the crime is committed to expose where there are cracks in the system of government and where individuals, if willing, could step up and do a little bit more to to save somebody. So what I consistently know is no real estate licensee says, yes, sign me up to earn the commission for helping somebody steal somebody else's property. Like, I've yet to meet that licensee. I'm not going to meet him or her today, I hope, either. And so we found that for real estate licensees, there were two areas, potentially, where realtors, because every time it has been a realtor, it's not been a um, non-association member, if they had done one or both of these things, the crime wouldn't have succeeded. That you could have stopped it so, so early. So the first thing was the concept of checking a photo ID when you enter into a listing agreement. What I can tell you from the cases I've seen is that, yeah, they generate a fake ID. It looks nothing like the criminal because they're trying to match the ethnicity of the name or they're trying to they're trying to create a fake ID because they have their own notary, right? So they're going to say, just send me the paperwork. I'll go to my bank and have it notarized because they have either a fake notary stamp or their own notary, and they've, got, they've generated some fake ID. And so they never want to show their face. These criminals do not want to come on camera with you. And they're never going to meet you face-to-face at the vacant lot or the vacant house. And if you just simply say, especially, you know, hey, I got a phone call today from a lead because I buy leads. They love to use lead generation sources because that gives them a level of credibility and it puts your guard down because you know how they got a hold of you, right? So. That's one of the preferred ways to get a hold of people. Hey, I got this piece of land in kind of a bind. I own it outright. I need to sell it fast, list it for a little under market value. I don't care what you charge. I want a quick closing cash would be preferred. Can you make that happen? Like, are any of you that lucky? (laughs) Like, just put it up against the, (laughs) it doesn't meet the sniff test. Who are you? And so there are, if if you were to say, that's great, we can go into a listing agreement, I can go look at the land, I'm going to need you to just pop up on, I'll send you a FaceTime, a Zoom, I mean, we had a pandemic, all of you know how to use some video of some kind at this point, and I'm getting, you know, Arizona law requires that I, right, that's what we're going for. We are proposing to the governor that you would have to look at an ID, play matchy-matchy with the picture and the ID and the person's face, we're going to trust you. And then we would want you to record the type of ID that you looked at. So I looked at a passport or I looked at a driver's license. And we would want you to write down the expiration date. So that's the audit trail. How do I verify that licensees did it? Okay, they told me they looked at a driver's license and this is the expiration date. We're not asking you to store any kind of personally identifiable information. I don't want industry to have to pay more for their electronics to have to store information that could be identity theft. I want it to be enough for me to say check the box and enough to deter the criminal because quite frankly, they don't even want to be the part of come on camera and show you the fake ID. 
right? So that's where the crime is really stopped. The second area where we know licensees can help is in the verification of the validity of the insurance claims history letter. So we need to change some laws in order to make that happen. We have to tell homeowners insurance companies that if a licensed real estate agent calls you and says, is this letter legit? That they have to then look it up and say, yep, that's one of ours, or no, we don't insure that property. Because the houses that have been stolen, the insurance claims history letters were fake, and the company that was on those letters didn't actually insure that property. And so when the listing agent receives that information, if you have the ability to say, okay, it's Liberty Mutual, I'm not gonna call the phone number they gave me on the letter, I'm gonna call Liberty Mutual, yeah, right? Kind of like wire fraud. Don't call the number in the email, call the number on the contract, right? It's the same sort of concept. And you're gonna call the insurance company and say, hey, I'm a licensed real estate agent and I just need to verify the validity of this letter. And if they say, I don't insure that property, well, bingo, bingo, you just stop the crime. And the earlier you can do that, the more time you can save of your professional life, the more marketing dollars you can save, because hopefully you haven't done marketing, photography, and everything else. These are things that you could say, I require this up front before I go and spend a penny of my money. You go get these things. They're, you know, and, and I'm not going to require timelines or anything, but those were the two things under real estate licensees that I said, you know, this is, this is a way that this industry could help. There's other areas at the county recorder's office, there's a county assessor's office, there's the county prosecutors that can you know, be a part of this, there's the um, Secretary of State that can do things. And so we found all of the places used by these criminals, looking at quite a lot of defraud cases, and we packaged them all up in a nice little sort of, here you go, Governor Hobbs and policy team, and I can say the governor's really supportive. She's not, she wants to do whatever she can in helping the people of Arizona who have worked to own their properties not have those properties stolen out from under them. You know, with everything, it's like the good and the bad and, you know, and there's pushback and, and all of that. But at the end of the day, I hope that Realtors will say, yeah, that makes sense. That's not too much. I could do that and I, I would happily do that you know, as, as part of my thing. Yeah. So I heard in California they're catching criminals because they require thumbprints. Yeah. So it's, when does Arizona go? It's after the deed is done, but it is a way to actually track down the criminal, and that's the Secretary of State part. I've met with the Secretary of State. He's very interested in cooperating. Okay. How does that work, though? Does that mean everybody has to put their fingerprints in with the Secretary of State? I mean, the, no. the, the financial... No, 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 Jan, it's just once that property's been identified, you track down who the notary was, and the notary has the fingerprint, and that's how they can arrest the person. They, Which, they track it after they the fact. arrest them if his fingerprint is a database. Oh, well, they're assuming, the, the one that I think you're referencing that I know of, he was in the system already as a criminal. So it's just one more way to help track down the criminal. Well, if we're going to go in that direction, I think that there has to be something in that bill that's going to compensate the financial part of things, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I mean it's just like police cameras. Think of the expense that that is for the police all over the United States that 10 years ago, 15 years ago, wasn't in their budget. Yeah. So that's going to have to come Well, it comes down to the cost of notarization, right? So the end of the day if a notary feels they need to charge more money to have your thumbprint in their book then you know that's going to be up to the private market california already requires a thumbprint when you are transferring property is which is how a criminal was caught and so it's just as simple as the thumbprint in there if you're going to do remote online notarization there's already services out there that have very competitive fees that do biometric verification. The technology is out there, it's being utilized by other states, which would probably explain why Arizona is so ripe for the picking, because you know we don't have those protections. Yeah, Ellie. So I'm a notary, and I just did some notary services on the weekend, and the amount of time I spent there, I could have thumbprinted every single one in the room with all of the work that I have to do to complete my book to make sure I'm in compliance with the Secretary of State, verifying IDs, looking at them. And I was dealing with seniors, which is my 
charge the minimum that, or the maximum that the state allows me, which is $10, I can charge mileage if it's a distance for me. But it would not be a hardship. So if, you know, if that's all it takes and the nobody's died, I think it's a done deal. Is the Tory saying it's a proposal for Arizona? And if so, what's the timeline? Next legislative session. So it's one of those things we submit our policy proposals. All of the different departments submit policy proposals by the 15th of September. And then at some point, we meet with the policy team at the governor's office, and they say, you can run with these or you can't run with those kind of a thing. And, uh, and then uh, they, they or the agency find sponsors for the bills, and they're all intended to run in the legislative session that would start in January of 2025. So if you don't see it, it's because somewhere along the way. Did you say 25? 24, sorry. <laughs> we, we are in fiscal year 24-25 right now at the Department of Real It's really weird. Is that July, July? Yeah, 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 it's July to <laughs> As July opposed thing. to yeah. January to May. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still messes with me. Yeah. yeah. Proposed legislation, um, we're saying we'd like the Department of Real Estate to be notified so we can grasp the scope, but you could turn it in to the department. Um, we've proposed that if the Attorney General doesn't want to be the one in charge of investigating it, that the Department of Real Estate's investigators would be happy to investigate it. And right now, you turn it in to the FBI Internet Crimes Unit via their website. That's who's doing our tracking right now. Back to the room. Register your name. Register your property. Title alert. Yes. I, I, I can talk to him on the phone meeting and, and ask him about it. Well, that's in fact, mm -hmm. thinking about it now, I wonder if they're going to notify everybody in that system on Title Change. Couldn't they do it? Couldn't Title have that email? And when that goes open, you know that. So part of the proposal in the overall policy package was that when earnest money is received and an escrow is open, that title would record a notice of pending sale, and that if the deal were to cancel, they would record a cancellation of pending sale to clear the title. You don't want to leave any clouds out there. Or that title would be cleared upon close of escrow at the sale. So that is part of our overall broad range scope is to utilize that service that says anything recorded against your name and your property, you're going to get an alert. We want that alert to happen right when escrow is open, not at close of escrow. So yes, that was part of the overall. Okay. Title alert. And Maricopa County has it. Pima has it. And Pinal has it. Yeah. 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 So you go to their the county website, the recorder's website, and on WeServeGad.org, I have links. I have a blog post about this. It's about several months old now. As soon as Stephen Richter put it in, I had that um, link put in, and then we also have the link now because those are the two counties that we cover in our jurisdiction that are doing the re recordings. And you put in your name. It's fast and easy. You put in your name and derivations of your name that your title might be in, and then anything that fits under those names they will email you and notify you about. Can you read the website? It's Maricopa County's recorder recorder website, and he has it right on the, the front page of his recorder site, and Pinal County as well. So it's you're probably go on WeServeGad.org. It is on WeServeGad.org. <laughs> yes, it is. There's a blog post that links you with those those two directly. Oh, where's John Tice when I'm being funny? I know. <laughs> We're not hearing the cheer. <laughs> Yes, yes, whatever. Yeah, you're registering by name, not by property address. So if any of the names that you are interested in, yeah. your trust, yeah. your personal whatever name, it is. whatever yeah. it is. So if you have several properties, you can give all Yeah, so you've got Maple Street LLC, it's Maple Street LLC. If right. it's um, Oak Street LLC, Oak Street LLC. If it's John um, Smith, it's John Smith or Joe Smith. Any, any derivations in spelling as well? Or if you have a nickname. so. Like for me, it's Elizabeth or Liz, right? That's what I would be using. So those derivations, so you can do that 
for whatever you have. And you just keep going in there and do one set of names and then do the next set of names for whatever it is that you have. And this is just for Arizona. This is for each county that oh, has it. County. So all Maricopa counties, County has it. All counties have to be online by January 25. Mm -hmm. the, there was a law passed last legislative session. I've seen names misspelled that when I was helping someone sell their property, I knew that it was misspelled in the county. So I fixed that. But so I guess if someone misspells the name, that might not alert the person unless they thought of that ahead of time. So we're back to our clients who own property. This is part of owning a property. Go in and check your records once everything's said and done. I've Spell always checked my title every three months from the time I first owned, I mean, we're talking over 40 years ago, um, <laughs> because it was something I was always concerned about, like what's going on in the background? It's too easy to get a quick claim deed. And it's just, right? So that's just, that was always a fear of mine that someone was gonna quick claim deed out of my investment property or my home. So I've always got, but that's one of the things that I used to try and teach my clients. You have the responsibility to go in, put on your calendar once a year, at least once a year, checking your own, title inside of the system find out what's and then that's when you find out if you your name is misspelled all right now put now these days put that in as one of the derivations that you want to be notified about so if the title company sees that it was misspelled before but it's going into contracts and it's correctly spelled are they going to notify both of the names well title companies already have to clarify this right if they have a misspelling you get the documents that say okay what's the real name Same let's go name. through this yeah. So okay. let's clarify name. Mm -hmm. So that's already a process that kind of <laughs> goes through. Okay. We have an online debt protection where we can enter all of our personal information about the individual and passport and Medicare and everything. Mm -hmm. And so if something happens, we're notified. Right. Private companies who do that deed or that ID verification processes. You have to have to find a private company that does it the way you want at the cost that you're willing to do it. I think NAR has a member benefit for some discounted identity theft protection through a private company. Um, when I used to be a member, I had it. <laughs> <laughs> So they don't like liens on the property because they're not going to, you know, that's one more hurdle, right, that, that they've got to get to get to the money. Trust, if, if it's inside of a trust, they have to produce trust documentation, and so they're having to make up additional legal documents in order to steal the property. So I haven't seen one stolen yet that's across my desk that was inside of a trust. I'm not going to say that gives you added protection. I just haven't seen a crime committed against a property held in trust yet. But you just try and set up roadblocks, right? Yeah. So an LLC, an S Corp, a yeah. trust, things where I have to go make, now I have to go, and if I do a Delaware, and I got to go back and make fake Delaware corporate, I mean, those that we get in there, right? Fake Delaware, there's just a lot of work. We're back to crime of opportunity. Right, mm -hmm. don't be an easy target, yeah. right? Yeah, and, and I think if all the proposals that we, you know, sort of, have thrown up actually make it through I, I, I think Arizona will become a very very difficult place for these crimes to be committed and I don't think anything that we've identified is, is overly burdensome to any small businesses or large businesses even out there because we've been very cognizant of it when we approach the title and escrow about you know recording notices of sale they have an association as well and they are so hard hit right now in paying out title insurance policies when this crime is committed. They're like, yes, sign us up, we'll do it, we'll record it, we're happy to do it. I mean, there was zero resistance, and that's really what we've seen in, in most places. Uh, I, I've heard the, the, the biggest pushback, honestly, has been from realtor organization, you know, asking realtors to check ID is asking too much. You know, oh, if you tell an insurance company that they're gonna have to verify that they're actually the insurer on this, maybe they'll pull out and they won't even insure in Arizona anymore because 
that's time and that's money of somebody there. And, you know, and these are the types of things that are thrown at me. And I'm like, look, I, I'm not going to just sit here and die on my sword on any of these. I'm just going to say this is where the criminal could have been stopped. This is, this, these, are, these are the opportunities for people to rise up and say, I'll do more. I'll do my part. I want to move on to a couple of things before we end. Um, first of all, uh, as if you're in property management, you know that TPT ends on January 1st, 2025 for rental residential rentals. Um, I have had some people who thought it went to commercial. No, it's residential rentals that that TPT ends on. But between now and then, we still have some issues. And one of the issues is the long, ongoing issue with accounting in a brokerage that is accurate and correct yes. versus what DOR has and some of those conflicts. And that has always been a big bone of contention because if yeah. you get audited, yeah. those are supposed to match yeah. and they're not. Yeah. So why don't you speak to that because you came up with a clarification for our property managers. Yeah, so um, TPT tax is no longer going to be a reason for gotcha <coughs> on audits. It's unfair. If we can pull it out, extract it, follow your math, see what there is from the Department of Revenue. You've submitted, you've tried, you've done this and that, and, and you as a practitioner in the clear, we aren't gonna hold your license accountable for where a government agency isn't doing it. And I have a direct line to Director Woods over at the Arizona Department of Revenue, and he, he wants to know when our licensees are, are faced with those obstacles to overcome. In our omnibus bill, we're seeking to do much better clarification of what has to happen in a reconciliation. We have started reaching out to the software providers of the most prominent property management software systems to find out what reports need to be run. We're asking them to do video tutorials of how to, to run those reports. We plan to post those to our website if they're agreeable to say, yeah, if you use our software, this is how you can run your reports that are required by the Arizona Department of Real Estate. So we're working tirelessly in process and procedure to make it absolutely fair for licensees. We'll be doing outreach education. So the auditing process is going to be completely revamped with new timelines and turnaround times and expectations. But before we roll out and change everything, we're going to offer open house, like, hey, come and learn. We're gonna take you slide by slide by slide and show you exactly what your audit is going to look for. Because my goal is that when your brokerage is notified that you're going to be audited, you don't have that panic, shut everything down. I've gotta like make sure that I dotted all my I's. I, I want you to have already dotted your I's, crossed your T's and say, great, I'm ready. Thank you for you know, having the transparency and unveiling the process and teaching us what we needed to know in order to be in compliance. In the omnibus bill, we are going to ask that property managers do as much continuing education as a broker. So we're going to ask for 30 continuing education hours instead of 24 if you do property management. The reason for it is, is that's the area where I see the most violations. And these are really great people most of the time. Don't get me wrong, there are scoundrels and thieves in it too. But most of the time, these are really wonderful business owners that just needed more education and help. So the Department of Real Estate will be writing courses in the broker management credit area and in the property management specific education and making it available for free to every single administrator of a real estate continuing education school out there. We wanna get the accurate, good, true information that you need from the horse's mouth out to you so that you can do business in a good, safe way. I, I don't like gotcha, dinged ya on an audit, especially with a great practitioner who wants to do it right, but the, there is no area for them to learn how to do it right. And so I can't teach you your software, but I can reach out to the biggest software companies and say, this is what we require. How do people who utilize your software do this? And, and you know, we're open to suggestions. We, we brainstorm it, we plot it out, we create timelines for ourselves and we create deliverables, but we, we certainly are not the knowledge base from A to Z. So, you know, we rely on outreach opportunities like this to hear from people with those expertise to say, oh, you could do this or you could do that. And, uh, and we're open to that. Quick question. Mm -hmm. So on the, like, I was going to ask you, 
events. So as part of the legislation is notification in September okay. uh, before, in September of 2024 by, okay. by course of that law, yep. DOR will be putting out notices to all resident, registered resident, residential rental owners. That, and if you're a property manager who is that agent, you will, should be getting, can't promise you 100%, they're still working on the system as you can imagine, this is all new. Sure. But for sure the property owners will do it, will get those notices. Um, so let's see here. We have what do you think? A minute. A minute. <laughs> Real quick, in one minute. Look, looking forward for two years. What are your top three goals for BRE? Ooh, make it a safer place for Arizona property owners to not have their properties stolen. Fairness in the real estate industry. Um, you know, it, it is not fair for licensees to do behaviors that um, are contrary to Arizona statutes to get ahead when the vast majority of licensees are following the laws to the to the T and having to swim harder up against the stream because other people have more money I you know I came from industry and you, you can't unsee you can't forget you know things that you know to be lurking out there and so I would love to leave the commissioner's office whenever you know that is because I serve at the pleasure of the governor but I would love to leave it with the vast majority of amazing licensees that go out there and work so hard every day juggling so many different things saying you know wow she made a really positive impact for this entire industry and she lifted up the real estate profession because she held people to the level of accountability and professionalism that the statutes demand. And I have probably a level of understanding and faith in those statutes that makes some people uncomfortable. But if you're uncomfortable with any of your business practices, well, I think that's like your first sign, right? To, to you know, are you on the right side of the law? So I wanna leave it a better place, Liz. That's good. That's it. On the right track so far. Yeah, so that's great. Thank you so much for coming. We really appreciate your time. My I want to thank Commissioner Nicholson for joining us at We Serve Peoria for this quick, informative, and engaging conversation. Watch the DRE as the department moves forward with the initiatives discussed in this conversation. I'm Liz Recchia. Thanks for joining me today. You can find this podcast and more information on the topics discussed today at www.weservegad.org. We Serve GAD, advocating for private property rights, the right to private contract, and your business. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.